That's supposed to be funny, but <laughs> you guys know me too well. Good afternoon. I'm Gio Garces. Hello, Gio. Um, I wanted to start out today's uh, message just with a, a request from the, the Thurston family. They have a, their son, Jacob, who is on life support system in the hospital in Los Angeles. They, they're from Arizona. Originally, they were from L.A. They spent some time in the Shoreline Ministry for a number of years when he was one of the kids in children's ministry. And sadly, today, he's on life support, and uh, we don't know the outcome. Um, so our, my, our ask is that you'd pray for him. Um, the family is um, obviously devastated. Uh, there are some signs of hope. Um, but, and again, you never know in these situations. It could seem hopeful one day and then um, seem terribly wrong the next. It's very reminiscent of Kevin Maines, the same situation in the sense of uh, being on life support and hoping for the best. So I'm going to say a prayer before we start. If you know Eric and Judy, they're asking for prayers. Uh, if you want to go on a visit, please reach out to them personally because it's very sensitive right now with having access to Jacob. Okay, let's pray together. God, uh, I know I've been asking um, this for since I heard, just that you would just, um, number one, just console the family. This is a very difficult time for them, very hard uh, to, to see your son. Um, and uh, the fragility of our life, the fragility of humanity, um, it could be us. We just pray that you'll comfort, you'll pray. We pray for a miracle, and that's what the ask is, that you would intervene uh, somehow, some way, with the doctors, with medicine, just with your hand upon him uh, to revive him and give him a, a, an another opportunity to live life for you, God. We thank you for this, this, this time just to pray and acknowledge just the family, just the, um, the incredible sadness that Eric and Judy feel, and yet at the same time, the hope they feel as well. So we ask and lift up Jacob to you, his soul to you, his life to you, that you would uh, somehow, some way, allow him to uh, regain his strength to live and have an impact on this earth for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. On an upbeat note, I just came back from Norway. Um, I, I went to visit there. The church uh, minister resigned, and I went up there just to kind of help out a little bit in their transition. Um, I think I have a picture. Hopefully you can see that. That is uh, me. I, I went down that slide. It was very dark. But it was very scary, but I was very happy that I survived. This picture to your, to, uh, on the left is a picture of a city called Bergen. It's a place where I go to Norway because I visit someone in my world that I met there in 2007. I met a doctor by the name of Knut Leseth. And we, every time I go to Norway, I go visit him. Now, there's not a church in Bergen, so I, got on, I hopped on a flight for, for about an hour landed in Bergen and spent about 24 hours with him and his family. And there is the good doctor. Uh, he's a hematologist. He's pretty awesome and pretty famous in his city. Uh, and there's his wife, Britt Uren, and their daughter, Leva. Uh, they have a son named Lucas, who's a teenager, and they have a young son, eight years old, named Sondra. And I've just been visiting with them for the last um, 11 years. I see them. And I knew their kids when they were little babies. And I'm happy to say that Leva and, and her oldest son, Lucas, uh, now, they, these aren't Christians. These are Norwegians. They, they, they don't go to church. God is not a part of their life. But their children are attending a Christian church, 
And Knut was very excited to tell me that. He's very happy. He's like, my kids are, are active Christians in a church. And so I'm like, wow, it, it made sense to me because you're a loving father. You're a loving mother. You spend time with your kids. You care about... It's no surprise your kids want to see God. They see God. They see you. So he was super encouraged when I said that. And, um, and uh, I hope that one day uh, Knut will join us in the faith. That's my hope and prayer. That's my relational world when I go to Norway. I make sure I go and you know, catch a flight to go see him. Um, this is, a, this is a, a, a story of Norway. The church has lost their minister, but they haven't lost their hope. They haven't lost their faith. They haven't lost their courage. They haven't lost their vigor. Uh, on my left is a man named Tude. About 10 years ago, I studied the Bible with him when he was uh, 70 years old. Now he's 80. Tude is the, is the father of Trina in the picture. Trina's been a disciple about 25 years, her and her husband on the right, Richard. He loves to make dinner for me. He's amazing. I stay at their house when I go there, and they're excellent hosts, and we have a great time, some of our best friends. But Tude had a stroke about a month ago, slight stroke, and the first person he thought about was Trina. Now, he has other religious children, but he thought about Trina and how much and committed she was in loving him and encouraging him with the good news about God. And so last week, Tude was baptized and is your brother. Isn't that cool? 80 years old. Now, Tude is in Molda, and Oslo is about an hour and a half flight away. So I told the church, congratulations on, on your church planting of the church in Molda. Because Tude is there, and he's got friends, because he has a household there. And that's how most churches in the Bible started. They started with a household, relational world. Uh, this might be a familiar face to, the, your, to, your, to your left. That is Joseph Nealon. He was obviously on Shoreline and Simi. He's relaxing on the couch. He's married to a Norwegian, has a job there, is living there. Um, it, it's, it's a great situation for him. His wife's brother is, in the, is the middle person on your left. His name is Brynjar. And Brynjar and his wife Kristen on the right. Brynjar and Kristen is from Texas. Brynjar went to school at Texas. So he's married to an American, and to the left is Andre Bloom, and they're all part of the married ministry there. And the reason I want to highlight Brynjar, because when they asked me to share about what we've been doing in Shoreline for the last two years, I started to share about our relational world, our household, what we're doing. Brynjar's been doing that in Norway without anyone telling him. Without anyone saying anything, he just kind of secretly started doing it. He started secretly loving people and told his group, go love the people in your world. And they baptized a young woman just last month. Pretty amazing. So when I came there and I, said, I told him about this new, this new concept, he's like, you're a blessing. And he's been doing that. So they're very excited. Um, they're, he's really tall and they have a child who's the closest thing to a Nephilim I've ever seen. <laughs> really, really tall people. And you'll see a picture of her later. To my left is a Ukrainian couple who moved to Norway two years ago. Uh, he got a job there. He's an electrical engineer, got hired in Norway. And he's been there. They, they have a daughter, and I'll show you her in a second. And to your other, other picture is Rurar and his wife. His name is Rurar. Rurar you know, I can't really say his name properly. Um, they're part of the married ministry. And they just love the idea of loving God and loving people in their household and in their world. They really gravitated to it. Um, to my left is Levi Halverson. 
Uh, he was once the minister there about 13 years ago, or 16 years ago, sorry. And he has been in part of the church for many years. He's kind of heading up and coordinating the group right now for the transition to get a new minister. So he's been a very valuable help to the church there. Great guy, loves, loves God, loves people. And to um, the other side of that picture, uh, one of them is named Alva. She's on the, on the I'm going to, Alva's here. She's the daughter of the, of the ministry couple that just um, stepped out. She's baptized. She was baptized last year. This here is Liv Karin. She's 18 years old. Her mother and father were disciples or have been disciples uh, for many, many years uh, in the church, original members of the church. Her mother died about eight years ago of cancer. And her father is faithful and is remarried to another disciple. And she's 18 and she's probably going to get baptized next week because she was already finishing her last part of her studies. So that's really exciting. And they want to come to L.A. As you see their gang signs there, they want to come to L.A., L.A., they are dying to come to L.A. They want to visit and see you guys and see L.A. and see the whole thing. Uh, they're very, very excited about that. These are some of the kids. They had a family camp that weekend. I spent time with, with basically the whole church for an entire three days, talking to the parents, talking to the kids. It was really exciting. This little guy here to my, to my, uh, to, and the picture on the, on the right is, uh, his name is Daniel. It's, it's, it's an Albanian name. I just can't say it, so I called him Daniel. His parents are, are Albanian. His mom's a disciple. She was baptized. She left. She came back with the husband, who was Albanian too. He was at the family camp for his third year in a row. And this man is an excellent little soccer player. So I said, hey, quick, can I take a picture with you? Because when you're famous, you know, I want people to know that we knew each other when you were a baby. So we took a little picture together and played soccer. He's just a really great kid. It was just a really great time in Norway. And it was just a spectacular time. And I want to report to you that the, the church is baptizing. They haven't had a minister since March, and the church is, this is, their, this, is, this is their third baptism they had when I was there. This is the Ukrainian couple. This is their daughter. Uh, she's 15, decided to make Jesus Lord. They walked into, the, into that little uh, lake area and baptized her. It was amazing. As you can see, the girl to your right is um, Brynjar's daughter. She's, I think, 12 or 13 years old, standing at six foot uh, one almost. Um, and it's just an amazing testimony to the church, to God, that they are striving to glorify God despite not having uh, the minister in the church. And they're in the process of taking care of that. They, wanna, they, want, they want the church to kind of come together first and stabilize before they bring a minister in because they, they felt like they need to grow in areas. They need to support more. They need to, to give. They need to be... Uh, be um, uh, useful to the church and they don't want to create the same environment to a new minister where he might get discouraged so the church is really active in that and they're sensitive to that and also to the ministry couple there they're going to stay there they're doing great they're going to, they're well loved they're well received um, and they've had long relationships with the church so they're going to do do really well this church in Norway reminds me of Shoreline and it reminds me of a church in Colossae Colossae is a is a is a city in the Bible Times And it wasn't a large city, but it used to be a big city. As we know, cities can grow and develop commercial centers that provide jobs for people. In the ancient city of Colossae, it was built on a major trade route through the Lycus River Valley in the Roman province of Asia Minor, what we would know as southwest Turkey today. They made wool. And by the first century, 
their city had diminished greatly because another city had developed and, mark, um, and marketed other products called Laodicea. And that may sound familiar to some of you because it's one of the churches in Revelations. Outside of Laodicea is another area called the Heropolis. And they too had a commercial industry of wool and also it, it, all that competition, Colossae kind of fell into a, a diminished small town. And it's, it's, a unique, it's a unique situation because Paul never visited Colossae. But I'm going to tell you the story of what happened. Uh, one of the greatest cities in that time was a city called Ephesus. It was a city that was built on a harbor. And Ephesus was described by Strabo, who's an early Greek geographer, as the largest commercial center west of the Taurus Mountains. It was also well known as the guardian of the temple of Artemis, or as the Greeks called her, Diana. They believed that her image literally fell from heaven. That's why when Paul spoke, spoke about Jesus and disciples were being converted to Jesus, the city was in an uproar because how can there be a Jesus when this face, this image, literally fell from heaven? That was why they were so uh, uh, hostile to Paul. I'm going to share a few things with you here about this. If you, I'm not sure if you can see this super clearly, but I'll do my best to try to show you. This is, Ephesus is right in this area. There's, there's Heropolis, there's Laodicea, and Ephesus is right there, big city. There was a young man who traveled to Ephesus from Colossae. His name was Epaphras. And I don't know why he went there. He might have went there on business. He might have been taking a vacation. He might have gone there to just be, just be a, a regular Greek, as they say in those times, be a Greek. But he went there, and somehow or another, he finds himself in the halls of Tyrannus, and he hears of a man named Paul speaking about Jesus. We don't know how he got there. I don't know if someone invited him, a friend heard. I don't know. I wish I did, but we don't know. But what Epaphras does is he ends up becoming a disciple while he's in Ephesus. And when he's done becoming a disciple there, he has to go back home. And he goes back home to Colossae. And he plants the church in Colossae through his family and friends. And over time, the young church, remember, they have no, they don't have a New Testament. There's not a preacher there in the synagogue. It's just this guy named Epaphras who comes back and he shares orally this message about Jesus and people start becoming disciples that are in his world. And so Paul hears back from Epaphras that there's trouble in Colossae. That they were once strong, but now they're vulnerable to deception about the faith. So Paul writes a letter to refute some of the theological errors that the Colossians were tempted to embrace. The letter, however, takes readers beyond just these issues of deception. The, the letter of Colossians, if you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, Paul cared deeply for anyone who read his letters then and now. And so the context that Paul is writing is, is that God's, where are you in God's story? He's trying to help the, the, the Colossians understand where they're at in God's story and what that looks like. So half the letter is theological and the other half the letter is practical on how to live the Christian life. It's a young church. 
And Paul has another disciple friend of his named Tychicus and another guy named Onesimus. These two guys are important because they deliver the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. Onesimus is a runaway slave who became a Christian in Ephesus and whom Paul is sending back to the church because Philemon is there. If you know your Bible, there's a letter that Paul writes to Philemon and he gives him the letter to, to Philemon and he gives a letter to the church in Colossae because Philemon is in Epaphras', Epaphras house church. They're having church at his house. And one of his slaves ran away and came back. And he's a Christian. And Paul goes, he's your brother. So that's kind of the backdrop of the Colossian story. From Ephesus to Colossae to Laodicea, because from Colossae, Laodicea is planted through a house church. Heropolis is planted. The gospel of Jesus and his love goes out. The gospel of Jesus, his love, and that message, it gets out. Not only was Colossae just a house church, but they were intentional about spreading the message to others. And that's exactly what they did. What was happening in Colossae? There was a, these, are, these are very troubling things. And these are very serious things that were going on there. This is why Paul writes the letter. This, was, this wasn't just Colossae. This was actually happening throughout the churches too. It was a form of Gnosticism. And, and, I'll, and I'll explain that in a minute. It's a form of Gnosticism that was, was, was exciting and deceptive. But there was also a Jewish element there who, who, who they were teaching if you deprive yourself of some basic human privileges, you'll become more holy and more spiritual. And we'll show you how to do that. And then there was false teachers who promised a deeper teaching and a deeper knowledge of this Gnosticism, this knowledge of how to become more spiritual, more holy. And then lastly, mixed in with the Gnosticism was the worship of angels. The church in Colossae was threatened by an exciting but dangerous teaching. We don't know the name of the details of this philosophy. These are just the scholars' um, um, educated ideas of what it might be because we don't have much to work with besides the letter. The scholars call this the Colossian heresy. And the closest form of it was Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism, Gnosticism is... It's the belief that matter, physical things are evil and that the spirit and the spiritual realm was good. The idea is how can a loving God create an evil world? It's a question we probably still ask ourselves today. How can a loving God allow starving children to die? It's a question that we always ask ourselves. So in their mentality was this Jesus was not the mediator because Jesus was a physical birth deity. And so they rejected Jesus because he was a human. So the idea of Gnosticism was Jesus can't mediate for us. The angels can. They're the mediator. They're the mediators now because they live in the spiritual world and they are good. That was the idea of Gnosticism. And it was exciting and it was powerful. And underneath that was the basic idea of 
super deny yourself the basic needs. If you haven't been circumcised, do it. Go on uh, and obey the dietary and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Practice the holy days of the Old Testament and you'll become more holy. And Paul's letter was a major concern because to correct the Colossians in the face of this exciting teaching was dicey. Because he never visited the church. They don't know Paul. He doesn't have the relationships. It's not like me coming back to Shoreline and saying, hey guys, you're a little off. You know me. They don't know Paul. They know Paul's in prison in Ephesus. And he's writing letters. And he talked about Jesus. And he's writing a letter saying, I'm going to correct you, but I don't have a relationship with you. You ever had that experience in church? <laughs> Bro, I appreciate what you said. But I'm going to ignore it because I don't know you or like you. You ever have that experience? Okay, this is the situation. So the letter, Paul Wright, is, is, it's, it's delicate, but it's forceful. The false teachers were promising the disciples, that if you want to experience the fullness of being close to God, in, then you have to reject the material world. If you want to experience the fullness of spirituality, you've got to reject the physical world. And Paul counters this by stating that the fullness of the deity dwells in Jesus in bodily form. He directly challenges the Gnostic spiritual teaching. That's why that phrase is in there, that the deity is fully understood in Christ. And so, half, the half this letter is, is uh, it's theological, it's polemic, which means that Paul is arguing against something, uh, another argument. And then the last two chapters are basically practical living, how to live the Christian life life and how to feel holy and how to be holy. So let's tackle this, this letter in Colossae. He writes, Paul, chapter 1, verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother. Paul has, has to immediately establish himself that I, I'm, I'm speaking with authority. I'm an apostle by Jesus. I'm an apostle by the will of God. When I'm writing this letter to you, I'm writing it with the authority that God has given me. And he writes, to God's holy people. The Greek word there is hagios in Colossae. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. The Greek word for holy people is the word that means to separate, to sanctify. Another word is like sainthood. And the Greeks understood that word as this person who is hagios is dedicated to the gods. He's a special person because he's dedicated his life to the gods. And therefore, he is holy to the God, whichever one he wants to choose. In this context, he's saying you are holy because you are dedicated to God. Now, I want to introduce a concept to you that you may not be familiar with. In the Old Testament, when God would come down, it was called sacred space. That's why when Moses came to the, to the bush, God always told him to take off his sandals. Not just because it was polite, because he was standing in sacred space. 
And when the angel of the Lord would come down and talk to Joshua, you know, he told Joshua, take off your sandals. You're in holy, sacred space. And so they took off their shoes. Wherever God was, that was considered sacred space. When God resided in the tabernacle, it was sacred space. The reason why Paul uses this word to just to turn the switch on for you, when you were baptized and given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you became sacred space. Wherever you go is sacred space because the Holy Spirit is with you and inside you. Right now we have a collection of, of, of disciples who are occupying this space right now. When you go home, when you go to work, you are entering and you're bringing with you to work sacred space. It's the very same thought when Jesus comes back and heaven comes down to earth, the entire earth is going to become sacred space. And we're going to call that word heaven. Right now, you're just a little piece of heaven. Everywhere you go, you're taking a little piece of God with you and the, and the, and the darkness you enter at work or at home, or at school, or on, in the street, you are sacred space. And this is, this, is the, this is what Paul is communicating to the church. It means to be God-like, that word, holy people. Well, what is God like? God is love. God is loving. He's, he's deeply and passionately caring about others. He's love. He's also kind. Think about those two words. These, these, these qualities are the qualities that God wants to see in all of us. Kind and loving. He also wants to see a sacrificial. Think about the, the resurrection and the death of Jesus. The sacrifice. Familiar with suffering. Enduring suffering. Just these three alone, making time and effort to engage the, your household, to engage those around you, the non-Christians, the Christians in your life, the prodigals, to be God-like. Because you're sacred space. Patient. You know, a lot of times we... We're loving, we're loving people in our world and they're not changing. Keep loving them. And keep loving them. And keep loving them. Because you're going to need to be patient. And you're going to need to be very forgiving with people in your life. Because the people in your household usually are the, usually are the ones that hurt you. They offend you. Because you're loving them. You're giving them your heart. You're kind to them. You're nice to them. You're sacrificing for them. And they're ungrateful in return. Keep, be patient. Be forgiving. Be loving. This is what holy people do. They're kind. And when they have that moment where they connect and going, I need to get with God, we want them to think of you. Oh, I know someone that can take me there. Just like Ture. He had a stroke. He says, I could be dead. I know who to call. My daughter, Trina. She's been loving. She's been kind. 
She's been sacrificial. She's been patient, 25-year patient, and she's been very forgiving. Her father and Trina had a terrible relationship growing up, horrible relationship. Father was addicted to alcohol. Just imagine that household. And who did Tude think of? He thought of Trina. And now he's your brother. Isn't that awesome? Paul writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Paul heard good reports from the Christians in Colossae. Although he never met them, he stresses the, the encouragement with, with faith, with hope, with love. And Paul is setting a, a tone in the letter. But because he's about to cover and address the false philosophies that have been a part of the church for the last year. And Paul realizes that they, they don't really understand that they're part of, a, of an amazing movement. And a movement that reached them just by one guy. Going back home and sharing God's love and being love. Epaphras. Notice the language he uses in verse 5. He says, the true message. Because he just fired a shot over the bow. The true message of faith, hope, and love. That's radically different than how can, a, how can a good God create an evil world? Faith, hope, and love. Because the message of Jesus was distorted somehow through ideas and fears. And Paul would find himself dealing with many of these issues in the early part of the church. As the church grew, more of these issues became prevalent. My point for us today is we need to be Jesus-focused. Because the Bible in the letters, in Timothy, is in Ephesians, that's where, the, that's where the letter's written to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, there are a bunch of myths and endless genealogies. They're arguing about all kinds of, you know, philosophies. And if we're not careful as a church, if we're not focused on Jesus, we'll substitute Jesus for something that seems amazing. But it takes us away from Jesus. It even says they follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Whenever we lose sight of Jesus and He's not the most important thing in our life, the demons come. They see that the house is empty. It's not filled with spiritual things. And they go right in. Foolish and stupid arguments start happening when we're not focused on Jesus. We start fighting with each other. And false philosophies. And then, we, then people get scared. And who's really saved? Let's go back to Moses. Circumcision. Yikes! That's what happens to a church when it's not focused on Jesus. When we look inward versus outward, this is what happens to the church. So Paul writes this amazing letter. This next point is about remembering your neighbor. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, Throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing since the day you heard it, bless you, and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, 
Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You know, in the book of Genesis, God wanted mankind to be fruitful and to multiply. He told them that in Genesis 1. He says it again again in Genesis 8. And he says it in Genesis 9. He He wants people in that time to go out and be fruitful and spread out and multiply. And Paul is hearkening back to Genesis. He's saying the gospel is meant to be spread out and to be multiplied. It's bearing fruit and growing. It's meant to grow. You know, the church in Norway is 65 disciples. 65 people. What I told the church, your church really is 650 people. Because every one of you know 10 people that you do life with. And every time you interact with them, they're at church. So our church is 650 in Shoreline, just like Oslo. Multiply. Think in those terms. Every time, tomorrow morning when you go to work, you're interacting with four or five different people. Maybe some, maybe more. They're at church with you. Because your sacred space. This is why it's so important for us to change how we see what it means to be a spiritual person. You don't get spiritual by coming to church. You get lifted up. That's not how you become spiritual. You don't become spiritual by, being, by doing all kinds of things that are like, um, appear like, uh, like regulations and rules. You don't get close to God that way. If you find yourself sinning, you don't need more rules. You need more Jesus. But our reaction to sin is to give you more rules. That's our human nature. You messed up, you're blowing up, bro. Okay, I got a 10-point plan. And what we're actually doing is that he's just following your direction and he's not really getting more of Jesus. Because when the 10 days is over, what's left? We hope. It's the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's the grace that teaches us to say no. And this is what's happening in Colossae. The fruit of the Spirit Paul is talking about. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness and self-control. Against these there is no law. These aren't individualized. Paul's not saying they're, they're all separate. They're actually all together. It just means being Christ-like. Be focused on Jesus. Because the few verses before this, Paul talks about the sinfulness and the obvious sinful nature that we all have. And that is to be self-absorbed. That's our nature. We're a life of greed and superstition and jealousy. Sexual relationships gone awry. Misguided religion. Destructive habits. These attitudes are so alien to Jesus that earlier in this passage he says, I will bar you from the kingdom if you live like this. But there is a new life for those who want it. And this is the life that the Holy Spirit inspires. The the Spirit enables us 
to give us patience, to give us kindness, to give us goodness, gentleness, and self-control in our hearts and our behavior. And Paul calls these qualities the fruit of the Spirit. Not several, it's just one fruit. It's like being like Jesus. So when you find yourself struggling, when you find yourself faithless, when you find yourself, I'm just, in, I'm just sinning and I can't stop, you need to stop and say, I need more Jesus. But here's what we say to ourselves. I need to go to church. I need to go to family group. Those are good things, but that's not the answer. I, I need a D time. Those are great things, but that's not the answer. The answer is you need God and God now. We've been taught for many years that holiness is having a D time. I'm going to get holy. I'm going to have D time. Get holy. It's helpful, but that doesn't make you holy. You looking to the heavens and humbly going to the Father is what makes you holy. Because that's the connection that you need. And deep times are helpful. But somehow we like to flip it. If I just get to church, it's going to fix it all. No, 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 no. You're going to be disappointed in the sermon and the fellowship. It's Jesus. Because against such things, there is no law. It's Jesus. You know, I used to hate saying that it's Jesus because it, sound, it sounds like cliche religious. I used to hate saying that word as a minister. But I'm actually proud to say that as a minister. Because anyone hear Jesus, it sounds like, whoa, I heard that on TV. You know. But it is about Jesus. Because we're called to be God-like. God-like. Loving. Patient. Kind. Sacrificial. And you only get that by being focused on Jesus. That's the only way you get to be that way. And when you're focused on Jesus, you can remember your neighbor. You remember people in your life. You're not just living life for yourself. It's not just you and Netflix. It's you and other people. And when you focus on other people, you start bearing fruit and growing. You start to grow. You start to see your friendships grow. It's growing. Your children are growing. Everyone's growing. And that is the beginning portion. Just the introduction to the letter of Colossae. I'm going to be doing this series for the next several weeks just to kind of unpack this amazing story of Epaphras going back to his home, starting a house church, and seeing the house church spread to other cities, and also combating all the false philosophies, and also teaching us how to live as Christians, to glorify God and be God-like, focused on Jesus, remembering our neighbor, and bearing fruit and growing. Thanks for coming out. I'm going to the singers come up for one final song, and we'll close out. Thank you.